Benefer is back. Brad and Jen are friends again. And Paris Hilton is somehow still making headlines. 20 years later, we're living in the world that the 2000s tabloids created. On this series, I'm going to tell you the story of a decade of American life through the trash we love to consume. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, I'm Claire Malone, and this is Just Like Us, the tabloids that changed America. Listen on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. All right. It is Thursday, April 21st. And today we are going to be talking a little bit about the struggles of late night TV. I don't know if you saw the jump, the numbers that came out this week for the Jon Stewart show on Apple I'm not watching, you're probably not watching, nobody's watching, and we're going to talk a little bit about why it's so hard to launch a late-night show. We're probably not going to be talking about CNN+. Plus. Let's pour a little bit out for CNN+. Plus. It lasted less than a month. It was shut down today. Uh, yeah, what is that? That is about six months or five and a half months less than Quibi lasted, and Quibi was a famous disaster in the streaming wars. Uh, this is about, what, three, two and a half Scaramucci's, I think, CNN Plus lasted. RIP to that service. It's just going to be part of HBO Max, as I predicted, and a lot of people did. So we'll see what they do with all those talented people that they brought over there and spent $300 million to launch a service that they then quickly shut down. So that's the end of CNN Plus, And hopefully that is not the end of late night TV, but we're going to get into it with Bill Carter. I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Bill Carter. Bill is the media analyst at CNN, and he spent 25 years at the New York Times, mostly reporting about the world of late night. If you've seen any of the documentaries on the subject or even the the HBO movies, The Late Shift and some of the other stuff on the late night wars, you know Bill Carter very well. Uh, I have always been an admirer, and I'm very happy to have him. How are you, Bill? I'm great, and I'm Happy for you doing as well as you are. You're oh, everywhere thanks. now, man. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Thanks for coming on. So we're going to talk a little bit about the state of late night, specifically pegged to the Jon Stewart show, because there was a Bloomberg article this past week that went into some of the viewership stats on that. You know, for those who don't know, Jon Stewart has a new show on Apple, which has not been lighting the world on fire. Uh, it premiered to about 180,000. U.S. homes uh, the first for the first episode, but in more recent episodes have been down to about 40,000. And it's not a surprise. I don't want to harp on Jon Stewart. It has been really, really difficult to launch a new late night show. I mean, the last one that was launched successfully is probably Seth Meyers, and that's over a decade now almost. 
So what is going on? What, what is, who killed the late night show? <laughs> well, I mean, you, you might say, I would say death by a thousand shows in a way, but instead of cuts, uh, you know, there's a lot of shows, <laughs> a tremendous number of shows. I think there's some really talented people doing those shows, I have to say. And the, and the network shows that are on right now, you know, I think the, if you tune into them on any given night, they're very entertaining and their their hosts are really strong, in my opinion. Um, you know, and I don't know that I don't know. If, did Seth precede James Corden? I'm not positive Corden was was after Seth. But Corden anyway, may have been. You may be right. I have to check that. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but, you know, they, they're hanging in there. And and one of the strengths they have, which is the same thing that is a problem with something like John Stewart has tried is they are still on a broadcast network multiple nights a week. Okay. They're on multiple nights a week. So people who like those hosts can establish sort of a familiarity and connection, which was always the strength of late night that you got connected to the host. You felt comfortable. It was right before bed. You watched the show, you enjoyed it. You got entertained. You went to sleep. That is kind of the way people think of late night in a traditional way. Certainly that's the way I think of it. And those guys that are doing it now, I think are still doing it well. It's just that there's a million of them. Imagine if there was only you know, Johnny Carson and David Letterman, which there was at one point. Two shows might do really well. You know? Well, and on three networks. I mean, part of the problem here is that television has gone from a lean back experience where you turn on whatever's on to an right. on-demand experience. And, you know, you could argue about the quality of the shows, but ultimately it's Netflix and HBO Max that are killing these shows because people don't, yes. uh, you know, people, oh, Cor oh, you're right. Corden was in 2015, Seth Meyers 2014. So Corden is more recent. You're right. Uh, but the, you know, it's, it's the shifting viewership landscape, but, you know, but that's not the whole story because look at the shows. I'm going to read off some people that have had streaming shows that have failed. Chelsea yes. Handler, Joel McHale, Michelle Wolf, Hassan Minaj, Norm MacDonald, uh, Sarah Silverman. These are all people that have had streaming late night, quote unquote, shows that have not succeeded. So something else is going on here. Well, don't you think that also has to do with the way people watch streaming? They don't, you know, what, the way I watch streaming is I find a show that I like that, that has already got all its episodes and I watch three of them in a night, you know, like right. that's, that's one way a lot of people watch streaming and the way they think of streaming. That's sort of the act. It's all, everywhere access all the time. And that is kind of antithetical to what I think is a traditional late night show. You, traditional late night show was very current, extremely current. Johnny Carson was doing a monologue literally based on what was in the news that day. And he then you just say, watched on the news prior to that. Absolutely. And he would even say, well, let's see what's in the news today. And and, I, and when I did a podcast about the, the, the late night documentary that we did for CNN, I did one on writers. And the writers all said to me, what did they do? They got up in the morning and they opened the newspaper and they started to read. And that's how they started to form the jokes. Well, in streaming, you don't have that. I mean, you can have that, presumably, but the people watching it may be watching it many days later, or, or you know, it's on. It's just there in the ether in streamer in streaming. It's not at a specific time, and it's not on a specific date. And a lot of people are watching clips on YouTube. I mean, the and numbers the on YouTube, yes. The number, the numbers for John Oliver, I know, and Kimmel and Fallon, all these guys. The numbers on YouTube 
are way bigger than what they're generating in their time slot. And they all know that. I mean, John Oliver is on HBO and HBO Max, and yet they make the YouTube clip of his main story free. So they know they're capturing that audience. Um, John Oliver is an interesting one, though, because I think people were skeptical when he launched on Sunday nights because of what you just said. Well, what news is there on Sunday? You know, they're they're you're not going to be able to feel fresh and relevant. And it turned out that the style of show he was doing, where they spend months on these big segments, was actually pretty well tailored to Sunday night because it had a more sixty minutes exactly. style feel. <laughs> That's what it is. It's it is to the evening news. Well, you know, sixty minutes is the evening news. What mm. John Oliver is to the five night a week late night show. He's the once a week big story uh, kind of show. It's not the same thing. And it's interesting because I've always felt like it's unfair to the regular guys, to Jimmy Kimmel and Fallon and Colbert, to put him in the same Emmy category. I just think it's a different oh, thing. Oh, right. Yeah. Point. Oliver's won the Emmy pretty much every year he's been every on. Year. And they all he complain. does some very big, meaningful stuff. Well, well he also does. Night night. He does what, 25 shows a year? It's, yes, you know, exactly. like they do yes. hundreds of shows a year? 200 shows a year. Exactly. Right. Right. Um, so, yeah. So the ratings are so down for all of these shows. And, you know, it's interesting. What What is your sense of what the networks care about? Do they care about ratings anymore? Like I, there was a rumor that went around a couple of weeks ago about how NBC was had had it with Fallon and we're going to replace him. And I checked it out. It turned out not to be true. But I started thinking about it. I was like, why would they do that? Like, not like anyone else is going to come in and do better than Fallon at this point. He's sort of Not a spokesperson anymore. for the na- for the network. They're in business with him on other shows. He's the voice of the tram ride at Universal Studios. Like, why would they do that? And the stakes are just so much lower in late night than they used to be. They're abs- you're absolutely true. The guys don't even really compete against each other. Kimmel and Fallon switched shows for goodness <laughs> right. sake. And they're all friends. It's kind of <laughs> annoying. Friends. That's right. There isn't that, there isn't I, that sort of competition anymore. And the NBC is... Matt, NBC is very important because the the Tonight Show was the franchise, right? That was the franchise. And if the Tonight Show was failing in some way, because like when Conan O'Brien got the show, he still was winning the demo, but he was started to lose the audience to Letterman, right? Because a lot of Leno's fans went away. And that was intolerable to NBC. That fr- and to tonight, tonight Show was supposed to be number one across the board. Well, it isn't anymore. Colbert is number one, but it's not the same. It's not so vital to the to the network, right? I mean, Carson was not just the biggest star in NBC. He was the biggest star in television. <laughs> yeah. And that was really, really important to them. Now, I, I, as you say, you, the, the, the idea is to have kind of a face of the network sort of host. He's kind of the face of the network and be, is used in different ways. And, you know, Jimmy Kimmel still does the upfront every year for, for ABC. He's kind of the face of the network. And I think that's part of the advantage of of still having that five night a week thing. And what else would they put on anyway? The shows are not really expensive. That's one of the great secrets to that show. Mm-hmm. If you get a five night a week host, yeah, he makes a lot of money. But in general, it's not an expensive show. It's certainly not if you're trying to produce an original hour of of, of, of fictional television. It's funny because people ask me sometimes, who's the top rated late night host? And you know who it is these days? It's probably Greg Gutfeld. Well, yeah, that's a, and that's an interesting he, point. And he's on Fox News. Yes, but then you're you're getting into another area then because he's doing a 
show for political acolytes. <laughs> That's what he's, but he's so is Stephen Colbert at these at this point. Yeah, I mean, yes, you ever watched? could argue that Colbert mm-hmm. kind of is now. I guess he, especially during the Trump years, he was preaching to that choir. Certainly was, and and Stewart obviously was uh, when he did uh, uh, the Daily Show. Um, but you do have a little more spillover than Fox's. I mean, Fox News audience tends to turn on Fox in the morning and go to bed and. It's, it's still on, right. you know, so that's really what you have with Fox. They should sell Fox news should sell uh, coffins that have little televisions in them that will yes. play Fox news for eternity. I uh, think that'd be popular. All right. So I think it would. <laughs> I don't think it's a joke. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, th- there's, there's been all these efforts to kind of reinvent late night for streaming, but for the most part, the format is still the same, Right. Like, isn't this a format that is now 50, 60 years old? Steve Allen or, you know, those guys invented it and it's still pretty much the same. Who's going to come in and like redo it? Because everyone always talks. I remember it was a big deal when Kimmel didn't wear a tie at first and everyone freaked out and he had a guest host and they served (laughs) beer in the green room and that didn't last. And and now, right. (laughs) right. And now, you know, you look at at these shows, they're pretty much the same. So what is it going to take to shake up this format? Well, there's, well, there's a reason why it's the same. And that's because that format works. That's what works. And that people have tried it differently. And occasionally you get someone who does something that's offbeat and it works for a while. Arsenio Hall is a great example of that, right? No desk, different guests, different, you know, from the different parts of the entertainment world that worked for a while, but it eventually went back. The format kind of goes back, you know, uh, 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 Seth Meyers started his show doing a stand-up because that's what he did. It, 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 that's what everybody did. Then he realized his thing is from Saturday Night Live is being behind a desk and doing it. So they did. So that changed, and and Stewart did it behind a desk. That was right. a radical move, not to stand up and do it. And so you, there's incremental change, but it's sort of based on the talents of the host. It's always about the host. What does the host do well? If the host does it, does a stand up, well, you know he's going to do stand up. If he doesn't, get him behind the desk as fast as possible. Or if you're James Corden, get him in a car with a celebrity. Well, well, but that's a fantastic, that's an entirely different idea. But you're right about that because every show has to have what I call a signature bit. There's a signature bit, whether it's a top 10 list or thank you notes or mean tweets. And Corden came up with this. Really, and it was in his first week, and he, he talked to me about it at the time. He said, I know that's what I have to do. I have to find a signature bit. And they found it right away, and it, it exploded. I mean, that now every musical artist in the world wants to do it with him. Right. And that's something that the other host can't do. That's the key to Corden, is he can actually exactly. do that credibly. He has credibly. the talent to do it. He has right. the talent to do it. Um, you know, it's funny. You talk about John Oliver and, and the fact that he's on Sunday nights, but I watch John Oliver on streaming. I watch it whenever, and I don't know why. And I sometimes I'll watch Bill Maher on streaming because I want to see his roundtable. But like, I don't ever watch the other shows on streaming. Why is that? Because they're just too topical. Well, I think that's why. I think if you if you watched, uh, you know, or I'm watching the clips on YouTube is what I'm doing. Yeah, that, that's what I mean. And, and you know, it's interesting as late night has gotten less dominant in the culture. The culture covers it more than ever. And what I mean by that is the New York Times does a round, roundup of the of the monologue jokes and CNN does a roundup of the monologue joke. It's still out there that 
Well, what are the late night people saying about this topic? You know, what, what are the jokes coming out? And it's more passed around than ever. And that and, and that's sort of good and bad because it's an easy way to keep up with it. Then you don't have to watch the show. <laughs> well, nobody does. I think that's why people are what that that's why those stories exist, because people are not in the habit of watching these shows anymore. They're in the habit of getting their news and their entertainment from the same source, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or wherever. Right. And that's where these shows live. I mean, the, the Kimmel clips go viral if they're funny and that's the success these days. Do you get yes. a sense of where the, of the money in late night? I mean, they can still generate advertising off these shows, right? But is there a meaningful advertising business for the YouTube stuff? You know, they say that it's still a, a fraction of what the advertising is for the for the broadcast. Right. And I think that the advertisers still even the look the advertisers are buying ratings now that is inconceivable, you know, 10 years ago. Right. You know, oh this has a 1.2 rating in the demo. That's good now. <laughs> right. That would have gotten you canceled so in fast. 5 minutes. <laughs> and, and not and not that long ago, like 5 years ago probably. No. Yes. So you have a show like if you have a show like uh, Fallon, let's say he still, you know, does a five night a week show. He's got five hours of show. He's got a lot of advertising time. I think for an advertiser who's trying to look for some way to break through a little bit, he still wants to have be a presence in there. You know, it's still, that's something it, it happens all the time. It's very hard for them to isolate. One of the reasons they love sports is that it's live. It's happening live. And I think they may feel like if they're on late night all the time, they will get some traction. It's about mass, you know, exposure more than anything else. That's right. That's my theory. I, I, I haven't talked to the advertisers about it, but I'm pretty sure they're still okay with that. But in terms of what they're taking home, the network takes home, it's nothing, nothing like it was. Absolutely right. nothing. Not even close. Do you think that there will ever be another late night show that galvanizes a big mainstream audience again? I don't think so. Because there, there is no big mainstream audience now. It's all niche. It's all niche. If you're liberal, you like Colbert. If you are conservative, you like Gutfeld. If you like sports, you can watch, you know, the uh, the Bomani show. You know, there yeah. are lots of different things. Yeah, exactly. All right. Separate topic. I know you follow SNL, Saturday Night Live, as much as I do. Yes. Um, you've been covering them for decades. Uh, you know, Lauren. From the beginning. From, from, the, the, from, the, from very, the first very. Year. I know you were there at the very beginning. Um, I interviewed Lauren Michaels the first year of the show. Wow. Uh, and so Lauren is coming up on 50 years yep. of that show. Yes. What do you think the post Lauren strategy is for SNL right now? It's been really interesting because you heard for a number of years, a lot of the likely people that might take it over would say, I'll never do that. I will mm -hmm. never follow Lauren Michaels. I just, it's just, you know, unthinkable. It's anathema. Only Lauren Michaels can do the show. And so they would speculate NBC should end the show. It, it, it should just be closed up. And I think to myself, that is never happening. Never. Are you kidding me? There's a franchise that still a network would do anything to keep. That's the one because it still gets tremendous buzz. Tremendous buzz, buzz way beyond its ratings, and, it and it's and it's on in an hour. What are they going to do? Put on movies or like it's on in an hour that is dead otherwise? Absolutely, and people still do watch that live. Which another it, it, they've they've managed to make that it's so important that it's live, so it will exist. I mean, I'm you know, and, I, and I'm pretty sure now Lauren is on board with that. This is his baby. He believes in this thing like nothing else. I mean, the, 
But who can do it? Who would take it over? And or better question, who does who does Lorne want? I don't think Lorne has openly said who he wants, but I'm sure he wants one of his children to sure. do it. I think that's for sure. But there's two obvious choices. Okay, go ahead. One is Tina Fey. Mm-hmm. Tina Fey was the head writer, is an absolutely brilliant comedic mind. But I know she doesn't want to do it. I know that Tina is not particularly uh, interested in living her life that way. Uh, now, maybe your kids would be a little older. Maybe she might talk to her. But the other choice is Seth Meyers. And I just think that's the obvious choice. To me, that's the obvious choice, okay? Because he did do something on the air for them, but he was the head writer and is, has a mind for that kind of thing. He's an organized guy, very smart, smart guy. And was he, very well-liked when he was ex- the head writer. Extremely like, well-liked. Uh, is, is very generous to his uh, writers and staff and all of that. So he's he's highly admired. Uh, and as you pointed out, the idea of his show, which I think he does love doing, is now, well, somebody else can do that. <laughs> like, you know, right. I, I, I do think they would not have particular trouble finding somebody else to do that if they wanted to continue that. Whereas somebody to follow Lauren is a really tough act and they need someone they can rely on. I think he'd be extremely reliable. And does he want it? I don't think he has expressed a negative, strong negative against it. Uh, I'm sure he would say, as anybody in his position would say, ah, you can't think about that. That's Lauren's baby. You got, you know, and distance themselves from him. But the day is coming and he, I, I'm pretty sure he'll be asked. Uh, and I think Lauren would also obviously bless him. So, you know, to me, that's the almost obvious outcome. Yeah, the thinking at NBC that I've heard is that the that Lauren will retire after the 50th anniversary show. Yes. Um, which will be a spectacular primetime special and yes. everyone will come out. And then there will be a summer where they kind of let it be dormant and like normal. And then there will be an announcement and the transition. Yes. Well, Lord has basically said that he's hanging in for the 50th uh, year. Well, but he's never uh, said he's going to leave after that officially. He he didn't say it officially, but, uh, you know, he knows that it's going to happen. There's a time to do it. And that's right. the, the time to do it. I mean, he's done, he did a 25th anniversary show and he did a 40th anniversary show. Uh, both of which I was fortunate enough to intend being in the audience for that. Um, I don't know if I'll make the 50th, but <laughs> he, he, uh, he is uh, his his. It's very interesting. A lot of people decide in their careers. I've done that. I got to move on, right? I, I got to try something else. Not him. He. This is his thing, and he he once said to me, "I want to be the guy to turn the lights off in the, mm. on the show." You know, he, he did say that at one point. But well, that but was he's a- used that. I mean, everything from producing all the movies in the '90s to the fact yeah. that he now executive produces Fallon and Seth Meyers and you know, A.D. Bryant's Hulu show and the other, right. the other two, like he's used it as a, uh, as a kind of home base for this empire. Yes. yes. But, but usually what happens is he starts that show and then that's it. He's, he doesn't have a lot of day-to-day contact on Jimmy right. Fallon's show. Right. He's working on Saturday Night Live, which is, I said this a million times to people who watch the show and say, oh, it's not funny or they don't, that's the hardest show in the world to do. Okay. Sure. Try, try, just go there sometime on a Monday or Tuesday and watch what they do and see how insane it is. There's nothing, there's absolutely nothing when they start the week and there's going to be a 90 minute show with sets 
and all these moving parts, it's an incredibly challenging thing to do. And I think he obviously devotes the lion's share of his life to that show. Yeah. And, you know, he likes having everybody in his orbit. I mean, I think going back to the Conan Leno debacle, I think one yes. of the big missteps there was Conan kind of went outside Lorne and one of the tonight show and when conan was outside of lauren's protection there it all went to shit uh, it's a big part of the book i wrote mm -hmm. <laughs> that, i remember that that whole that whole notion that they didn't need really to have lauren involved anymore because for the longest time he had not done anything conan was on autopilot doing mm -hmm. great but lauren got a check Lauren got a check all the time and i think so the why are we doing this you know why well, you're doing it because Lauren's imprimatur is crucial, was absolutely crucial. And losing that, I felt, was a big mistake by them. I don't know if they've ever really acknowledged that. But in my opinion, that was a mistake. You just keep Lauren in the, you know, you, you give him a taste, as they say in the sure, old Sure, he's the godfather. He's literally the godfather of comedy. Absolutely. Um, speaking, of, speaking of people in his orbit, the SNL cast, out of control. What are there, 25 cast members I, at this point? I, I mean, and, and I could not name them all. Most of my career, I could name the entire cast of Saturday Night Live. I could not name them now. So I, crazy. I get why they did it a little bit during the COVID times, because, you know, you never know when you're going to lose five cast members to a COVID outbreak. Yes. But, you know, SNL was always this place where you you were on SNL. You did not do other things. And now you've got A.D. Bryant going off to make her show. You've <laughs> yes. got... Uh, Cecily Strong, Keenan Thompson is it has his own show. I mean, Kate McKinnon leaves for you know a few yeah, weeks movies. to to yeah. do movies and such, and then they come back. Why do you think Lauren is tolerating that? And do you think they will clean house at the end of this season, like they should? I'm sure they will do something to adjust the, the cast, but Lauren's tolerating because, generally speaking, all those people he has an interest in the shows, so it's not going to be a problem for him that way. But also he wants to keep them. I mean, Keenan, he really likes that guy's talent. That guy is the most useful guy. He, he mm -hmm. can use him in so many things. So he really wants him on the show. And Kate McKinnon was the star of the show, really has been the biggest star in the show now for quite a few years. So he doesn't want to lose that. It's been hard. It's gotten harder, I think, to, for him to create breakout people. Mm -hmm. It's been harder in recent years for, for that to happen. And one of the reasons is they're not in enough things. <laughs> right. I think if they, if they fired half the cast, they would have a better shot of creating stars. I mean, when you start, when they started with six or seven people, those people were in so many sketches each week that they got an identity and it's very hard for them to do that now. And I think, I think it's also because he's experimenting to see who the real, who's got the chops now, you know? It, he, he he doesn't want to take a chance and, and install a person and have it not work. So he, he sees, well, this person's a featured player. Will they graduate? You know, will mm -hmm. they make it? You know, and it kind of has worked. I mean, the better featured players have moved up. But I, I do think I, it, right now, I don't think they have that many great performers. And the men have not been great in recent years that, that, that a lot of the women are really good. Cecily Strong is good. Kay McKinnon is, is good. A.D. Bryan is good. Some of the new women are very good. Uh, I think it's been harder to establish men, which is the exact antithesis to what it was for so, so long. Right. But, right. Uh, but I just think that's a factor. And, you know, it's being cur current with what the, the young audience wants to pay attention to is also it, it, it means you're narrow casting again. I mean, how many people are of, uh, aware of some TikTok star that they've, 
did something a bit last week, right? Right. And I was like, I don't know who they're referring to. I don't get this bit, right? I, I'm sat on TikTok all day. But, you know, the 18 to 34 audience that they want, they get that. Right. And then they so, do Fox News parodies that my dad is into. That's right. Exactly. Um, all right. This has been great. Uh, I want to thank Bill Carter for coming on. Plug your documentary so people can get more of, of the story of late night. I did, a, I did a documentary for CNN called The Story of Late Night. Uh, which um, was on last year and is now on HBO Max. I also was executive producer of the History of the Sitcom, which is also on HBO Max. And then I did a podcast called Behind the Desk, which was a six-part limited series about various aspects of late night that people were not aware of. And we were nominated for an Emmy for a Webby Award, which uh, will be announced on April twenty-sixth. So, all right. Uh, people say Carson was the king of late night. Bill Carter is the king of late night. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Great to talk to you. All right, we are back with the call sheet, my uh, daily prediction here. Producer Craig, if you had to kick someone off SNL, one person, who would you pick first? I think it's time for Kyle Mooney to go. He's the curly-haired guy? Yes, he was the one who came up with Beck Bennett. They were like a YouTube crew from San Diego. And when Beck left, Kyle should have left with him. I don't really think he makes sense now, and he's just kind of awkward. It's not a bad take. My take is, I think Colin Jost needs to go. That guy, I mean, talk about a privileged existence. I know not his, <laughs> it's not his fault. He's a good-looking white guy. It's not his fault he went to Harvard. It's not his fault he is married to Scarlett Johansson. But uh, he, he is absolutely the most punchable person in the history of comedy. On paper... The kid, the dude's life is pretty perfect. He's like the head writer of SNL. He's been there forever now. ScarJo, Harvard Lampoon, did the whole thing. But you know what's funny? I don't think people my age dislike him. I think people like him in, in Michael Che. Hmm. The, it, Weekend Update isn't bad, but you know the show has always been bigger than the people. And the problem is they have these people that have been there forever now. They just got a clean house. You know, put someone in Weekend Update that we've never seen before. That was Colin Jost and Michael Che, though. Yeah, like 10 years ago. Yeah. How long have they been doing that? I mean, it's, it's forever now. Well, Seth Meyers did it for a really long time. And Tina yeah, Fey. True, but they eventually left. And now's the time. They got to do it. Uh, I also think Pete Davidson needs to go. Pete, I mean, he has outlasted his welcome. The Pete Davidson, Pete Davidson thing is weird because I kind of agree with you. I think he's funny on the show, but I almost think he is afraid to leave because he knows if he leaves, there's nothing else for him. Yeah, hit movie. King of Staten Island was a movie. He's doing, he's got stuff going on. He's doing a lot of other things. So he'll have a career. But this show is like, to me, a way for him to stay relevant every week. He can like pop in and do, everybody makes a joke about him, who he's dating this week. And he hops on with Jost and they do the like New York differences thing. And I actually think SNL is like the core home for Pete Davidson. And if he leaves, he'll be irrelevant. Well, that's what they all feel. But at some point you gotta just, you know, cut the cord and live on your own. But all right, on to my prediction. Um, I try to do a box office prediction on Thursdays, and this weekend's a pretty interesting weekend because it's got three original movies opening. Uh, there's The Bad Guys, which is an animated kids movie. Clooney's voice is in it. Um, there is The the Northman, which is a, like, $80 million Viking movie starring Alexander Skarsgård and has apparently a nude battle scene, a bunch of dudes fighting naked, some CGI penises, um, which 
is interesting. <laughs> um, then there is uh, the Nick Cage movie, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, which is a meta comedy question mark with Nicolas Cage. Um, I've actually heard it's pretty good, but that one is tracking the lowest of all of them. Bad Guys, the over-under is 15 million, and I'm going to take the over on that. I think that kids' movies, this one's been pretty relentlessly marketed. I think this one will do a little bit better than that. Um, Northman, I think, is probably DOA. I just don't think the audience for those kinds of movies is there anymore. Uh, Last Duel, Last Fall. is. I'm getting Last Duel flashbacks. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, that was a different time at the box office. People weren't really going to movies if you're older. Maybe people will show up for Alexander Skarsgård and some CGI penises, but I doubt it. Do you think that kids' movies are the easiest bet in theaters right now? Uh, no, because there's still some people who are reluctant to go. I think they'll go for the right thing. But it's not like Marvel or you know these movies that appeal to a you know, 20 something, 30 something audience that is less afraid of COVID than families are. Marvel is a safe call. But other than that, I feel like the nice thing about a kid's movie is that it doesn't even really matter if it's that good. Like you can bring your kid, he'll watch it and it's two hours in on a Saturday. Oh yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the whole model is that you just want something to do with your kid. But I feel like my six-year-old is a discerning uh, moviegoer <laughs> when it comes to this kind of stuff. And he's into bad guys. He's seen the commercials and he likes it. And some of the other stuff, he just was like, eh, I, don't, I don't know. So we'll see. I'm going to take the over on 15 and we'll see how I do next week. All right. That is the show for today. I want to thank Bill Carter for coming on and talking about Late Night. I want to thank producer Craig Horlbeck. And I want to thank you. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.